Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. In just a moment. So this morning, uh, we are going to light our third candle uh, in... Uh, just kind of a Christmas tradition. So the third candle, we light always the pink candle is uh, reminiscent and points to the value of joy. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible around joy is this verse that comes out of the Older Testament that says that, says that in God's presence is the fullness of joy. Is that me? I'm the only one talking, so it might be me. Uh, In God's presence is the fullness of joy. And here's what we think about. A lot of times we think about it, well, if we're here, we're in God's presence. So in church is the fullness of joy. You just heard that. You can just hear all the excitement and uh, all of the community that's going on. One of the things I love about our church, our church is authentic and uh, filled with such great relational Fabric. It's just kind of runs through our church. But here's the interesting thing that we think about with joy uh, in terms of this Christmas season. One of the names of Jesus is the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So in God's presence is the fullness of joy. When you put those things together, here's what we're reminded. We can have a sense of joy all the time all the time. I think it's this arm. If I don't move this arm, I'm just going to leave it right here. Um, And here's what it reminds us, that um, we can have joy even in hard things because God is with us. How many of y'all had at least one hard thing this year? I'm having hard things right now. It's hard for me. And um, there is a joy and a peace and a presence that transcends hard things. That might not be me. I don't know. I'm beginning to think it's not me. Trevor still thinks it's me. And he was right. It's still me. You know, I've been gone for two weeks from this campus and you can tell the level of respect. I've been gone only two weeks. This is what happens. Um, Let's, let's. Uh, Lord, I'm gonna ask that you would meet with us here. Uh, We thank you, God, for the promise of your presence that you are here. And uh, Lord, we are reminded that, um, you know, this is a season where it's filled with lights and revelry and celebration and joy. But Lord, a lot of us, most of us, maybe even every one of us knows that up underneath that we have things, we have circumstances, we have issues that bring us down, we have griefs. The Apostle Paul talked about fears within and fightings without. And so, God, we know this morning we need to be reminded of your presence, of your goodness. And so would you use this service, Lord, the worship and the singing, the message, 
the prayers, all of this time to help us, God, get a sense of what you're doing up underneath our circumstances to remind us of your goodness that can fill us with joy even when it's not easy. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. So we've been in this series where we're talking about Christmas and the meaning of Christmas and the meaning of the incarnation, which is the Christian term where we talk about how God became a human being, how God took on human flesh. We've talked for the past two weeks about how it's weird in South Florida that all of the Christmas symbols that we have culturally love, snow and reindeer and all this other stuff makes no sense in South Florida. No sense whatsoever. Our Christmas is more like um, instead of Germany or northern United States or North America, our Christmas is more like Australia on the other side of the world. You know when their Christmas is on December 25th? It's in the middle of summer break. Wouldn't that be weird? So really, we've thought about, okay, what would it mean for us to contextualize Christmas for here, where we actually live, with symbols that make sense for us in South Florida? And we thought there's no other better symbol than the ocean. We've been using this quote from the ancient church father, St. Athanasius. You saw it in the video here that was on the screen. And here's what he said many, many, many years ago, really in the first centuries of Christianity. He said, in short... Such and so many are the Savior's achievements that follow from his incarnation, Jesus becoming a human, what Christmas is all about, that to try to number them is like gazing at the open sea and trying to count the waves. So this Christmas and every Christmas from here on out, as long as you're in South Florida, it's not so much as let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, but go sit at the beach. And as the waves are pouring and try to count them, And when you lose count, that's we say, Jesus, I thank you for all the reasons that you came for us. It's so many I've lost count. That's Christmas right there. So we've attempted over the past couple weeks to count a few of these amazing waves of the significance of why Jesus came. It's one thing that God became a human being, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That in itself is huge. But so what? Like, what's the significance of that? For my life right here in 2023. Well, the waves of this are first off, we said identification. And this is really our word for saying that because Jesus became human, he gets you. And he gets your world. And he gets your weakness. And he gets your pain. And he gets your circumstances. When you can have a God that has compassion on you, that changes everything. Last week, Jessica Stafford just did a fantastic job. She lit the room on fire last week. If you haven't watched on YouTube, I really encourage you to go do that. She talked about the concept of revelation, not like the book of revelation, but she talked about how God shows us who he is. And that in Jesus, it's significant because God took on human flesh. That means that Jesus enables us to see God. And Jesus enables us to know God experientially. And that is profound meaning for our lives. You don't have to guess what God is like anymore. You want to know what God is like? God is Christ-like. And so today we're going to wrap this up. Before we get to Christmas Eve next week, we're going to talk about the idea of redemption, this third wave, when we're counting waves, this third one, the idea of how Jesus brings redemption through his incarnation. So here's where I want to begin today. I want to start with talking about broad cultural compa- uh, contrasts and comparisons. How we put two things up against each other and see how they're different. That's what we're going to talk about today. Broad things generally in culture, you're going to know all of these. First off, I want to contrast Coke and Pepsi. 
Ew is right. Pepsi, gross. Exactly. Right, where's my Coca-Cola people? Exactly, almost the whole room. Have you ever seen Santa drink a Pepsi? I think not. Case closed, the defense rests its case, your honor. Exactly. Now, I will have to say, I have disappointing news for everybody, that there is a member of our pastoral team who prefers Pepsi over Coke. And I won't out them entirely, but their name rhymes with Pastor, Pastor Bale. So, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so obviously Coke is better than Pepsi. Duh. Okay, well, how about this? How about Dunkin' and Starbucks? All right, who's a, who's a Dunkin' person? Who's a Starbucks person? All right, it's a little bit more 50-50 in the room, okay? If you ask me, I think Starbucks makes better coffee drinks. I think their espresso is better and some of those things. But man, if, you're, if you just need a cup of joe, I gotta be honest, I like Dunkin', I really do. And I drink my coffee like the color of my soul, black. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Okay, what, what about the Gators and the Seminoles? What about the Gators and the Seminoles? Okay, I am crushed this college football year because my beloved Florida State Seminoles got robbed with the college football playoff. Bush League, man, come on. I'm so sad about it. I'm almost over it. I might get over it. I don't know. We're grieving in the Johnston household. I kid you not, my 11-year-old boy, Cade, who is just a football fanatic, I will wake him up for school in the morning. Cade, good morning. Wake up. It's time to get ready for school. Dad, I'm so sad about Florida State. First thing out of his mouth every morning. I'm not exaggerating. First thing. So, you know, obviously there's a big, you know, Gators and Seminoles thing in our church, and I totally get that. Now, one thing that is really nice is that in, in an act of solidarity with Florida State and their college football playoff snub that happened this year, the University of Florida has elected to not go to a, not go to a bowl game this year. Man, and that is just so nice of that's so considerate of Florida to say, you know what, because you guys got snubbed, we won't go to any bowl game. You know, Florida, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Some of you don't watch enough college football. You don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, how about Apple and Android? Listen, I use an Apple just like Jesus did, Okay. All right, last one, last one. How about for my 90s kids? Where was my people? Backstreet Boys are in sync. And see, okay, Backstreet Boys? Tell me why. No? Okay, bye, bye, bye. Anyway, all right. All right, all right, all right. All right, so what I'm trying to do here, foolishly and with with a whole bunch of gooberness in the middle of it all, is I'm trying to show you contrast between two things. And the reason I'm trying to show you that is because that's exactly what's happening in the scripture that we're going to dissect today. The entire structural relationship of the passage is comparing and contrasting two things. And I want you to look for it when we read it. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5. So um, we stand for the reading of God's word here at Community Folk. So if you're able, would you please stand? If you're streaming from home, wherever you're at, if you're able in a place to where you could stand and it wouldn't be awkward, or, you know, like if you're in the middle of Starbucks, you don't need to stand. But um, if you're at home, go ahead and stand and stand with us if you're able. And so this is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. And he says this here in his, in his just classic work. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as Adam, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Not, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign through the life of the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, so let's talk briefly about Romans. Romans is written, you've already heard me say this, by the Apostle Paul. And many of this consider Romans his magnum opus. Paul, if you're new to the Bible, um, authored more books of the New Testament than any other author. Um, uh, over half of the New Testament is authored by this one man alone who Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit used mightily to pen the pages of the Christian scriptures for us. Paul's impact um, is so deep that consider this. The person next to Paul who contributed the most to the New Testament was Luke. And Luke, instead of writing epistles like, and letters like Paul, Luke added historical narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus and his sequel to that, how the story of the church began and grew. So he has Luke and Acts together, and it's a lot of historical um, material for the New Testament. So Luke had that big contribution. Follow me. Paul was Luke's pastor, and Luke was Paul's doctor, and they traveled together in ministry. So Paul's impact even goes beyond just his own writings in and of itself. I ran across this quote this week, and I believe that this is true. And so think of it, even if you're new to the Bible, and you're not ready to consider the Bible as like the word of God itself, consider this just from a historical and a sociological perspective in and of itself. Um, American theologian and philosopher Reinhold Niebuhr, he's in heaven now, he said this, and I think this is totally true, even if you look at this through a secular lens, which is not what we're doing today, but just bear with me. He said this, it's safe to say that Romans, this one letter, these 16 chapters, is probably the most powerful human document ever written, ever, of, not just religious documents, it's probably the most significant human document that's changed the world maybe than anything else. The next closest might be the Ten Commandments. Even greater impact 
then I'm proud to be American, but even greater than the Constitution for us here in the West. Romans has that large of a global, historical impact over the millennia. It's powerful. And so we're here in Romans in chapter 5 today. So you, I hope that you caught this when I read this, but here's the comparison and contrast that Paul's trying to do. Paul's comparing and contrasting Adam, as in Adam and Eve, our first parents, the first humans in the book of Genesis. It tells how God created the world and created the first people. Adam, and he's comparing him with Jesus. Now, it's clearly not who's better, Adam and Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer. I don't understand the question, but I know the answer is always Jesus, right? What he's trying to do is he's trying to make a point about the significance of the incarnation of Jesus, of Jesus being human. One of the significances of Jesus becoming a human being, he's making his point by comparing him to Adam. He picks up this argument in other places in the New Testament. He uses the same argument in 1 Corinthians 15 as well as in Romans 5. Theologians call Adam and then the second Adam, which is Jesus, for how he came to work his redeeming purposes in humanity. So before we look at the contrast, we have to start with Adam to understand the premise of Paul's argument. He starts Romans 5, 12 through 14. He says this here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through the one man, Adam, and death through sin, okay? And this way he's talking about where they ate the apple, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. That's interesting. If you're taking notes, go ahead and underline that or underline that in your Bible or make a note on your phone. We're going to come back to that. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not by sin breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. Again, there's him referencing Jesus as the second Adam type of a thing. What the argument Paul is making here is what Christian theologians call original sin. Original sin. Um, And what they mean by that is um, basically, and I'm going to explain it in terms that we would like to describe it here at our church and in our context, but it's basically human tendency towards sin. Human tendency towards sin explains the way people are the way that they are. Some people, especially modern people, have a hard time with this because it feels old-fashioned. Some people, that's not fair. I didn't do that, so why does what he did affect me? They might have issues with that. Um, People who come with a more modern, secular review go, man, that's old. You're talking about stories with a garden and an apple, and that explains humanity. Like, get real. Come on, get with it. We've evolved past that. Um, some people, if it's not necessarily come from a modern perspective where they struggle with that concept, some people have previous experience, a religious experience, maybe with different Christian traditions that might teach differently about this concept in ways that are a little confusing, that aren't necessarily helpful and unclear. And so when they hear these words or they see these concepts, some people just go, ugh, I just, I just give up altogether. But let me tell you why this is important, why it matters to you, And if you understand why this matters to you, you understand deeper what Jesus has come to do for you, okay? So here's what we mean by original sin. I want to show a picture of my family of origin. This is the Johnston family. Now, this is from 2010. This is probably 13, 14 years ago. And this is my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary. Amazing. This is my grandfather, uh, David Johnston. He's in heaven now. And he's retired lieutenant colonel with the Air Force. Just a, a great man. 
who left a wonderful legacy for my family. This is my grandmother, Kit Johnston. These are my mom and dad's parents. And here's my mom and dad, Arch and Sue, that many of you know. Mom and dad, if you're watching at home, hi, I love you. My brother, Graham, and his wife, Nina. She's pregnant with the first Johnston grandchild. So that's fun in this picture. And here's me and Leah. We're probably freshly married for only a couple months, maybe a year. Leah still looks amazing. I look like I've been hit by an old truck. So, you know... Um, so, you know, I've inherited wonderful things from my family. I inherited um, generational faith in Jesus Christ. It's powerful. Um, there is generations of healthy, loving marriages in my family. That's an incredible gift. Uh, love of country, love of community, um, the ability to make and build friends' circles, um, hard work ethic, gratitude, choosing to be happy no matter the circumstances of life. There, the gifts that come from my family down my family line are many, and I'm so grateful for that. Do you want to know what else I inherited from my family? Thyroid disease. It's okay. It's a joke. It's funny. It's true. It's true. Like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to laugh at that. It's okay. I got thyroid disease from them. I have it. My dad has it. My grandmother had it. Through no wrongdoing of my own, I have thyroid disease. I have to take a pill for it every single day for the rest of my life. Um, I also inherited high cholesterol. That comes from my mom's side. She has it. My grandfather had it. I have it. I got to watch it. I got to diet and I got to exercise. I inherited a love for chocolate late at night. (laughs) (laughs) Through no wrongdoing of my own, these are things that I inherited. They came down my family line. It's interesting, when talking about this idea of original sin, the founder of our tradition, John Wesley, he understood it like this when he would talk about it, that he talked about it in, in, like, in a metaphor around medical things, like um, a health and disease metaphor. He thought original sin, not in like a legal sense, but in a sense of it's a disease that human beings inherit from each other, from our first parents, Adam and Eve. So here's what we mean when we talk about original sin here at Community Folk. We say this here. Original sin is the, instead of a pre-existing medical condition, it's a pre-existing spiritual condition of the human heart towards sin. It's baked into the, the cake. Everybody has this pre-existing spiritual condition where we have a tendency towards sin, towards breaking the moral law of God. Some people listen to that and they go, I don't know about that preacher. Listen, I know your beard is sweet, man, but I don't know. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I hear that. I really do. I really do get it. For anybody who struggles with this concept, may I suggest you try raising a (laughs) two-year-old? I've done it four times. I'm doing it right now. You tell a two-year-old, don't touch the table. You tell a two-year-old, don't cross this line. (laughs) You tell a two-year-old, don't eat the chocolate. You turn away, you turn around, the chocolate is gone. And you look at them and say, who ate the chocolate? I don't know, daddy. I don't know who ate all the chocolate. I didn't have to teach my two-year-old to lie. I didn't teach him to disobey. It's kind of innate in human beings. It's cute when they're two, and we have to teach them these things. They're learning boundaries, and they're learning barriers, and they're learning to obey and to follow. I get it. But in a deeper sense, just look at human history. 
And you could totally see this is true. Even in the past like 125 years, incredible human progress, incredible, incredible human progress. We've seen incredible technological developments from transportation with automobiles and planes to technology with medical breakthroughs or communications breakthroughs or um, uh, you know, computers and t- smartphones and now artificial intelligence and all sorts of amazing things. But we also, in the past 125 years, had the bloodiest century in human history with two world wars, past 125 years, the rise of Nazi Germany, the rise of communism, the rise of terrorism, the, the creation of the nuclear weapon. And our technology has progressed, but we really haven't. In fact, let's make this a little bit more personal here. In Romans 7, Paul writes this, and some theologians say he's pretending to be Adam, but I want you to see this here. He says, I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not, for I do, not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want, I, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. This is like exhibit A for the most relatable verse in the entire Bible. And he goes on. He says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do, but it is sin living in me that does it. This is the human condition. The good we want to do, we find that we can't. And the wrong and the evil that we don't want to do, sometimes we can't stop doing. Any of you can relate to that? Here's what I want to tell you today. If you find yourself in that place, there are things in your life you can't stop doing. And there is good in your life that you can't find the strength to do. This is why Jesus came for you. Because what came through a human being can only be undone by a human being. So Jesus became a human being. Here's where the contrast comes into play. If that's what Adam set up for us, well, then this is what Jesus has come to do for us by becoming a human being. Jesus came to redeem humanity from the human condition. When um, I was a freshman at Florida State University, um, I was doing, made several good choices, made lots of Christian friends. I was going to schools, doing all that stuff. But at the exact same time, uh, my freshman year of college, I was messing up. And I was getting involved in some stuff I shouldn't have been involved in. And to be honest, I was doing, I was doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. And I was royally messing up. Anybody else here mess up your first year of college? Yeah. And um, I remember feeling like exactly what Paul wrote. There are things I'm doing in my life that I know are wrong. Ugh. And then when I tried to stop doing them, the, the sad part about it was I couldn't stop what I was doing. And I felt trapped. There's a unique type of hopelessness that comes when you can't stop doing something that you hate. My friends in recovery on Monday night know what I'm talking about. And um, I really deeply struggled with having no hope that I could change. And then 
I experienced the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. I, um, in my losing hope that I could change, I woke up one Sunday morning after doing stuff I should not have been doing all week before, and I knew I needed God. Um, so I went to church, but I showed up 45 minutes late um, because I wanted to avoid God and I wanted to avoid my Christian friends. So for those of you who come five or 10 minutes late, you have to be beat by half an hour. And I went to church on a Sunday morning and um, I just hid in the back because I didn't want to be seen by God or by anybody else. And a long story short, uh, a member of the prayer team, instead of waiting in the front, saw me and came to me in the back, even though I thought I was hiding. They found me. And they put their hand on my shoulder. I said, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm like, oof, I'm not sure you'd want to, but okay. And I had a major God moment when I encountered the grace of God. And here's what happened. When, um, how do I say this? In me being stuck in the sin I was drowning in, I began to believe a lie that God couldn't use me anymore. I had an idea. I had an idea that God was calling me to be a pastor, but in my being stuck in my own sin, I felt like I had ruined it and that God couldn't use me anymore. I felt wasted and dirty and that discarded. And that was the lie. And this person came and prayed for me. They put their hand on my shoulder. And without knowing me, they knew my name, but they didn't know my story. All of a sudden, it was like God started to talk to them and tell them about me and say, wow, I don't really know you. But I feel like God's telling me you're called to be a pastor. That God's going to use you to speak to a lot of people. That God has good plans for your life. And what God did in that moment was he removed the lies I was believing about myself from being stuck in sin, and he was replacing them with his grace. And this is what God did for me, and God can do it for you too. I'm going to show you quickly in this passage what Jesus offers as promises to redeem the human condition in every person. So persons following the slides, just stay with the points with me, okay? Jesus came, and he redeems human failure with grace. You could see it in the passage. If I go to Romans 5.15, this is what he did for me. But the gift is not like the trespass. It's not like no trespassing. That's a really like a moral failure. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. If you have failings in your life where you feel like I did or you feel like how it describes Adam, Jesus is able to take your moral failings and replace them with his grace and the lies that are being told to you about your sin and about your brokenness and replace it with his mercy. Jesus redeems judgment with justification, which go to verse 16, check this out here. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed once and it brought condemnation. You ever felt shame and condemnation for your sin? 
But the gift that Jesus gives, the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification, which is a fancy Christian word for follow this. It means just as if I had never sinned. So if you feel shame and condemnation, Jesus has come to really forgive you and give you a fresh start like it never happened. Jesus came and he redeems human disobedience with righteousness. Verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Jesus hasn't just come to forgive you and forgive you over and over and over again for the sin we're stuck in. He's come to forgive you and watch here and set you free. The stuff I struggled with by the grace of Jesus, I'm now walking in my 20th year of freedom from that. And if he did it for me, I'm not special. If he did it for me, if you're stuck in bondage to anything, Jesus can break those chains and set you free. There is hope that you can change. And here's the most human thing of all of the human condition, my friends, is that Jesus redeems human death with eternal life. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The death rate I've heard is hovering at about 100%. Have you heard that? I'm going to die, and one day you're going to die. And in Jesus, hope is not just for this life. Paul wrote in another place. He said, if we have hope only for this life because of Jesus, we're most of all people to be pitied. But Jesus has come to bring you hope that he can redeem your humanity in this life and give you a life in the one to come. And that death doesn't have to be your end. The question is, have you simply just received this? Check this out right here. How much more will those who receive this abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Friends, Jesus has come to offer a gift to you today that you can open under the Christmas tree to redeem every part of your humanity, every part of it, and change everything. Because he became a human, he can redeem you. Let's pray. So Lord, I thank you so much that you do this. And Lord, I just want to pray right now for my friends who are in the room who may be listening online. I want to pray for the person uniquely who's stuck in sin like I was, who feels trapped and ashamed and guilty and who has lost hope. Right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shine light into that darkness and give them hope that you can redeem anything any brokenness, any pain, any sin, and that you're really that good. Would you do it in Jesus' name? And we all said, amen. Wow. So therefore, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free, has set you free from the law of sin and the law of death. That is what God has come to do for you and for me. Let him do it. Let him have it all. Let him do it to the uttermost. I want to remind you, we have my friends are here and would love to pray for you. And I just want to encourage you. I thought it was so powerful what Pastor Trevor shared that, you know, um, God had a word for him through the people who prayed for him. And he said it. He said, I'm not special. I know him. He's not special. (laughs) But he's good. And I love him. And uh, what he said about his life can happen in your life. So see my friends before you leave. Let's pray. You know, God, we're so thankful this morning that this is who you are. We're so thankful that this is what you've come to do. And God, we could hear it over and over and over again and probably never to the depth of our being fully understand and receive it. So uh, come say fresh words to us. Uh, Remind us in this most holy of weeks that you're still doing it today over and over again. Do it for us, do it for our friends, do it for our family, do it for the circumstances we bring in this place. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. See you next weekend.